In his extraordinary and unique life, Jack Barsky spent 10 years in the United States spying for the Russians. But his story began in his birthplace, East Germany, where he became a chemistry professor and was eventually recruited by the KGB. Jack Barsky was born Albrecht Dietrich in, on the 18th of May, 1949. He is a German-American author, IT specialist, and infamously a former sleeper agent of the KGB who spied on the United States from 1978 to 1988. He was exposed after the Cold War and became a resource for US counterintelligence agencies and was able to remain in the country, eventually becoming a US citizen. He has now become known as an author, a speaker, and an expert on espionage. His autobiography, Deep Undercover, was published in 2017, and he has appeared in several high-profile documentaries. Welcome to Silicon Curtain. Please like and subscribe to help new people find our fantastic speakers. And of course, if you enjoy the content, do please consider supporting us by becoming a patron or buy me a coffee. Now, Jack, I'm very privileged to speak to you today. Your story is is a remarkable one. Um, so let's let's start right at the beginning. How you managed to get into the US uh, without your cover being blown, and the short-lived alias that you used to get into the United States. Well, there's always a little bit of luck involved, uh, and I entered uh, the US uh, using a forged Canadian passport. Uh, and it worked. And, and, you know, luck was that nobody actually uh, had a conversation with me because they, I, I, I came in uh, into O'Hare. They would have figured out that I don't speak like a Canadian. You know, I, 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 learned, I, I worked really hard to acquire, uh, you know, an, an American-style English which I got very close to, but it certainly didn't sound like a Canadian. I knew how Canadians sound because I had a a uh, uh, three month uh, uh, visit to Canada, uh, particularly Montreal and and then Windsor, Sarnia, uh, to just like sort of sort of get a flavor of what it's like to live in the United States, sort of, and um, and and that made me nervous uh, because. Any lengthy conversation, they would have said, "Wait a minute, come take a let, let's take a look. What you got in your luggage? You're coming from Mexico. Uh, what did you do there? Well, you know, I you know went to the beach. Well, you have no beach clothes in your <laughs> in your luggage. And what's with that shortwave radio? I, I literally this would have it, it. It was one of those situations where I could have been busted right away." And and um, there are there's based on what was uh, what is known has has come out of uh, the KGB archives. They trained ten of us to become illegals in the United States. I I it's my guess that at least half of them had to uh, go back or failed or are now in the witness protection program. You know, I got I got a second highest decoration of the Soviet Union for a reason, <laughs> because I was after I got this in my eighth year. After eight years, I was still there. And you made it to the uh, to the end of the Cold War. In fact, uh, Glasnost and the the collapse yeah. of of the system uh, that essentially you were you were working for. And we'll come on to the deep training because I'm I'm fascinated by what uh, you know you would have gone through in the KGB and. Uh, you know what you would have experienced there and understood by that organization um but let's go back to your deep roots because uh you know trained as a scientist um you had family you had relationships um and then this opportunity came up it's yeah. one which many people might have feared or seen with trepidation uh you embraced it and i'm fascinated to understand um you know why uh, it's uh, my adventurous nature and 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 the flattery of being of, of 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 being aware that i was considered good enough to be recruited by what i thought was the most uh, powerful intelligence agency in the world at the time so um, and also I just took a, a personality test that that's brand new that 
includes genetics. And uh, gen my genetics say that I am off the chart to the right with regard to uh, risk taking. Well, okay, so it gives you adventurous risk taking, and and on top of it, it was the whole idea that you know I I, I could have you know have my cake and eat it too. In other words, uh, go to the West and serve the communist cause, which I believed in very strongly, but also benefit from the wonderful life that they had there over there. Like like I I already knew that in Canada, and it was this amazing. As I was, uh, you know, going into the uh, department stores and looked around and the, the variety of stuff they had there was just unbelievable. So, yeah, so it it was close, though. Have I had had I had a girlfriend, a steady girlfriend, uh, I wouldn't have gone. So we've got a mixture here of and I was going to ask about the ideological aspect. You've got ideology, ambition and this sort of risk-taking out of those three motivations which would you say was the, the 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 one that drove you over the edge uh maybe drove me over the edge is probably the wrong way of putting it it was the foundation was ideology you know uh you you if you didn't know that you had a really good reason it, we, you were doing the right thing. You sh you shouldn't uh, be reckless and and be that adventurous. And th there were uh, there were uh, um, examples of people who served the cause. Like the, one of the more famous ones was uh, uh, a, uh, a German, Richard Sorge, who spied on the Japanese. And uh, and and he he was discovered and and uh, executed by the Japanese. And he warned Stalin that the the Japanese would uh, well I don't know what it was what they wouldn't open a second front. But so somehow Stalin didn't believe him. And and when he was captured, the the KGB denied him. So so we had our heroes. And you know I was going to join though the ranks of those heroes, and that's a phenomenal uh, incentive. I was going to ask about that because uh, obviously we'll come on to Putin uh, later, but certainly in his youth, there was a certain glamorization, wasn't there, in the 60s uh, of the uh, KGB as a kind of, which is not, not a discipline as such, but almost as a, as a, as a culture, as a unit. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of the doc, uh, the, the drama, Similar to Magavienia Visni, 17 Moments of Spring, and that's about a, a sort of KGB agent undercover uh, in uh, Nazi Germany. I don't know if that series came out when you were being influenced or whether there was a sort of, you know, popular mythology or romanticization of uh, the KGB. Yeah, there, there were, we had our own James Bond. Uh, it, uh, there, there was a TV series uh, was called The Invisible Visor. Uh, every Christmas there was another episode, and it was about an an East German who took on the identity of a uh, of an officer who was killed, and you know re entered West Germany, reconnecting with the old military friends that he had and and managed to make them believe that he was he said he, he was five years in in prison in, in in russia and so he managed to convince them that you know that there was in south america he was hunting nazis okay and you know he had the he had the good life he had the woman too the women uh i i can i can send you a clip that uh, that i use in my presentations it's it's delicious and and Literally, the KGB, not aggressively, but occasionally hinted at that, you know, you know, that, that you know, I, it, there would be some good parts, too. You know, you're going to drive fast cars and and you're going to live in a nice house. And what the plan was, actually, that would have worked out if the plan had worked. Uh, you know, I was going to uh, get American documentation and including a passport. And then they were going to send me to, uh, let's say, Switzerland. I opened a company and they would funnel some money into this company and two years later I show up in the US and 
and join a country club and uh, you know be upper upper middle class that didn't work but nevertheless there was something to it and that's interesting isn't it because you were sent with a particular mission and that was to uh infiltrate uh, political circles geopolitical circles uh and try to get close to uh jimmy carter's national security advisor so that was the plan um yeah you know, did you ever get close to doing that? But of, of, of if not, not. no. But then the plan changed. Then they found other missions and other uses for you. Yeah, uh, it, I, I, I just because of my standing in society, I, I didn't have a, a good, um, you know, hook to, to be, become friends with, like, let's say, employees of the the Hudson Institute. Uh, you know, one of those uh, think tanks. Or, you know, wind up at Columbia University where Zbigniew Brzezinski taught. That that just didn't work. You know, I, I didn't have a credible reason. You know, first I was a bike messenger and then I was a student. And that, that was already six years were gone. And then I was a computer programmer. Okay, so uh, I, when they decided that, uh, you know, plan B was to go, go back to college, I... I was tasked with, uh, you know, spotting talent, you know, young people that uh, some, and we were focused primarily on ideology, whether that was right wing or left wing, some some extremist thinking that could be used to recruit. And there was there was still uh, the focus was on ideology, not on money. Okay, so I I never was told what they did with the folks that I that I uh, suggested uh, because that's the way the KGB operated, they wouldn't let you know anything that you didn't need to know for doing your, your job. That's interesting, isn't it? And that creates a connection between now. I know we're, we're going to we'll jump around a little bit and we'll, we'll continue the narrative uh, in a minute, but that willingness to utilise anything that would divide society or divide your enemy and make your enemy weaker the willingness to use you know left-wing and right-wing ideologies we associate that with the sort of svr or um you know the 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 current russian uh intelligence services and the sort of uh almost uh you know the immorality of uh that sits behind that and the, the complete cynicism but you're saying that same basis uh, of tactics was was there during the uh, Cold War period? Yeah, well, that was in the context of recruitment. Uh, there, there, there was uh, a certain amount of active measures that were undertaken, uh, but most of what they were trying to concoct didn't work because the, the Russians didn't know how American society worked. And how can you undermine something that you don't know how it works? Uh, actually concocted the AIDS virus in, in their secret laboratory. But but most of the, what they came up with is just people sitting in an office in Moscow trying to uh, come up with something that enough Americans could believe. They didn't know. And it, there, was, there was mutual ignorance. Americans didn't know about, about the Soviet Union either. And still today don't know very much. You Europeans know a little more. I mean, we have this naivete, which is amazing. Like like when Hillary Clinton, just to name one name, she's not the only one naive with their reset with, with Russia. Yeah, right. <laughs> no no understanding of Russian history, no understanding of the paranoia that drives the Russian people to this day, and 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 which uh, has enabled Putin the, the biggest strength that uh, that he has is he he is just an expert reading the Russian character. And 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 he he managed to mani manipulate uh, the Russian people to a point where he's at this point. There's no way that the Russian people will ever rise up against him. He will die, either, and oh, I hope not in a nuclear war or, or from a natural death. And uh, yeah, you think he's in a circle or either? Well, we like to imagine they're sort of terrified. But actually, as you say, he's tapping into certain uh, needs and certain mindset. Yeah. Um, and uh, people aren't necessarily opposed to that. You know, we impose our values on them and seem to think, well, they they must want to reject you know, what's happening, and what he's doing to the country. But that that's an imposition of our value system, I think you're suggesting. Oh. 
exactly right. And you know, I know how uh, how powerful brainwashing can be because you know I grew up a communist, flaming communist, because you know we were influenced from childhood on about the righteousness of our cause, and and particularly when it comes to Russia, uh, when you look at the history of Russia, first of all, there's still uh, Russia was always a a, a country that the majority of people were peasants, and there was an upper crust, but uh, uh, they had they had good um, uh, good writers, authors, good artists, good scientists, but underneath as well was all peasants. And when Stalin uh, uh, forced industrialization, that 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 peasant mentality didn't go away. Okay, and uh, and so the other thing. Uh, that uh, is very important here and more important than the peasant mentality. And that is the fact that throughout history, from the moment the Russian, the Russian state was founded, uh, it, it was attacked by neighbors uh, because of the natural riches, uh, be, uh, because of uh, where Russia is, is extremely blessed with uh, minerals and oil and all kinds of things. And so throughout history, they came from the north, the Vikings. Uh, then they came from, from the east, the Mongols. They came from the south, uh, the Turks. And they came from the west, the Germans. And before that, Napoleon. So there's this paranoia. It's partially justified, but it's also built up. Because Russia itself was uh, aggressive as well, but you know, if you look at the Great War, World War II, uh, that leaves such a great memory uh, throughout generations. It, it, you, you know how it is. Uh, countries have a hard time living down their history. You know, so you saw this in the Balkans. You know, you're seeing it in the Middle East now. You know, this the the the, the irrational belief that you need to kill the other guy to survive. Uh, that, that, that is, I think it may well be a, is something that be, becomes part of your genetic makeup. I call it at least the national genetic makeup. And this is where, where Putin is, is, has been so successful. Because he, <laughs> the, the Russian, one more thing, the Russian people always were looking for a strong man to keep the enemies out. So we had the czars. We had Peter the Great, who wasn't that great. We know that if you study history, he, he killed a lot of people by building that city for himself. And and then we had Stalin, Lenin, Stalin, and Putin just stepped right into that that model as as the the, the, the savior. And the KGB, which of course was the um, successor of the Cheka, uh, yeah. and it went through various names. I mean, that has its roots in a revolutionary terrorist organization, yes. which itself yes. breeds significant paranoia and criminality. Yes, uh, that's, the, that's when, when Lenin issued uh, the, uh, the command to uh, uh, to be engaged, what they call the Red Terror. And it was out out in the open. And uh, so he, he recruited that... Uh, now the the name just like so this is ridiculous. Sometimes I forget names that I should remember. But uh, you know the 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 the, the Polish nobleman who uh, Felix Czerzynski. Uh, yeah. exactly. <laughs> They've just uh, re-erected his uh, statue and, and, in the center and, of Moscow, I think. And, and that and that team that he recruited was a bunch of thugs. They they weren't really revolutionaries, the same way that like the Wagner Group. Uh, <laughs> aren't fighting for Russia. They're thugs, they're murder, and they're, they're fighting for, you know, whatever gains they get out of doing what they're doing. So what culture did that? So it comes from the sort of, uh, you know, terrorist, uh, so almost mafia mindset, uh, extreme paranoia, the desire to control, 
the suspicion of plots everywhere, the suspicion that your enemies are infiltrating, etc. You've got bourgeois plots, and you generally had white armies. You did have various infiltrators. You had a lot of people who wanted to destroy the regime from the inside and and the out. I mean, that's that's uh, that's absolutely true. You had people like the Czech Legion, you know, traveling around in the Trans-Siberian, shooting everything up. So it's it's an extreme chaos that uh, brought that um, group together. What culture did the KGB come to develop? Because from what I've heard, it didn't necessarily pull on uh, people from a peasant background. It tried, certainly in the senior ranks, to uh, get well-educated, extremely smart, but obviously cynical people. Well, the ones I met weren't really cynical they were gentlemen because you know they had to play the uh the role of diplomats when they went to the west well they were well educated uh and and i the the one guy that i worked with and that was my my handler in berlin he was a tough guy he was actually ukrainian and um you know there was a a circumstance that uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine showed up unannounced and she wanted me back, and I told him that, and he got, he immediately threatened me. The, the only time I got I got a threat, he said, oh, well, if you want to get back together with her, we, we'll have a job for you on the farm. Pretty blunt. Huh? Well, he was hardened, he was, you know, he, he participated in World War II, he was, but, but other than that, the, the other people uh, that I was dealing with were at least neutral, but also quite likable. Um, you have to be. I mean, if you want to be a good agent in human intelligence, likability is a uh, is a key ingredient, right? <laughs> and that's that's interesting, isn't it? Because despite his uh, extraordinarily, uh, dare I say, even sort of psychopathic tendencies. Um, People often describe Putin as being a little bit of a blank canvas. You know, he'll convince people in the room that he's listening to them, that he's understood them, that he agrees with them. Now, that may not necessarily be the case, but he does seem to be able to, uh, as you say, understand people's motivations, but also, uh, you know, absorb what they're saying and be different things to different people. Is that a prerequisite for, uh, you know, uh, many agents? I would agree with you on that uh, because what you know if, if we're talking about ultimately you being in the influence game you know you, you're not pointing guns at people's heads so you need to find out you know and and what they're what they're thinking so and that means you've got to make them comfortable you don't you don't argue on, and this is the problem though that Putin has and most people in his in his position they are they they are talking to everybody else from the top, so he he can be very intimidating. And you probably saw that clip that the BBC published, where he like ran roughshod over the head of the SVR and made him uh, like um, like pretty much verbally repeat what he what he fed him. Now I guarantee you that was deliberate he didn't he didn't he didn't go off the deep end he just wanted to show everybody that he's in charge okay but you know so so he's a very clever guy he's a manipulator you you remember that uh when he uh met uh um the 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 german chancellor uh the 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 female he knew yeah Merkel and uh yeah yeah, yeah. Fear of dogs, wasn't it? Merkel, yeah, she she doesn't like dogs, so he he had a dog by his side. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's absolutely. Clever. Yeah, yeah, and and of course he's able to send the right signals. You know that might be a a signal enough for for a German politician, but to intimidate other. KGB officers to intimidate other people who've come from that same milieu. He needs slightly, dare I say, harsher signals. And that brings us on to someone like Skripal and, of course, Alexander Litvinenko. Um, When these things happened, so many people around me sort of struggled to understand 
uh, or even accept that uh, Russia would do this. And that includes many Russians and my acquaintance as well. Um, and when they did finally accept it, they tended to read it as a simple signal, a simple signal of do not betray or do not this, do not that. Often, though, these kind of incidents have multiple signals to multiple people. How did you read um, separately uh, the incidents with uh, Litvinenko and uh, Skripal? Well, uh, just a, a, an anecdote. Uh, when the, the Skripal thing happened, uh, I was in in Europe on my book tour, and the news came across that a, that an ex-Soviet uh, agent was being uh, there was an assassination attempt, and my wife thought it was me. <laughs> so, yeah, no, this this is the you know during Stalin's time, they um, they tried their best to execute deserters. Now, this is very difficult in another country. So then, and I had, for instance, one task to look for one Nikolai Karglov. And find out whether he still lived uh, in 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 California, and he was under a death sentence, which I didn't know at the time. But the point being, somebody and, and there was a meeting, and they decided they talked about it. maybe we should do something about this guy. You know, he's gotten away scot free, and then they gave up on it. But this is sending a signal. You know, if if we can get you, and and that's one of the reasons I will never show up. Uh, Moscow again, even if you give me $10 million, you know, there would be, I would have an accident, fall out of a window. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cheaper, it's, it's cheaper as well. If you're in Moscow, it's cheaper to uh, do such yeah. an operation, I'm sure. It's, it's, it's intimidation, period, sending a signal to everybody else. It isn't just justice, they, they don't care about that, you know. And in Stalin's time, there would have been a deep uh, ideological angle to it. You're betraying an ideology as well as the sort of, let's say, sort of cult or clique of the KGB uh, or yep. Communist Party. Yep. Do you think now that it's still sort of driven by that kind of omerta, as it were, ideological omerta, or well, is it money as well? I mean, what are the main motivations now? Uh, money for somebody to uh, switch sides or um, because when the assassination doesn't gain you anything. Well, with Litvinenko, there's a number of hypotheses put forward. One, of course, is the betrayal of the KGB. Yeah. But he was relatively sort of uh, low-ranked uh, officer and originally from the army. So he, he wouldn't traditionally have maybe been worth it. Um, but then he started writing books about the apartment bombings, uh, which is very close to Putin. But it is also rumoured that actually that might not have been the main trigger, although that's the one people focus on. It's actually the disruption of corrupt business practices in Spain, uh, mafia networks, business networks, um, and uh, in a collaboration with the European police as opposed to the uh, security services. Well, well, you know more than I do with regard to the Litvinenko case, so I'm, I'm not going to comment on it. But the one thing... Uh, that uh, may not be expressed publicly because they won't admit that, that there was an assassination, but the, the, subliminally, it's about the betrayal of the motherland. And the motherland is a big, big, big thing amongst Russians. Uh, Mother Earth, peasants, okay? And, and that's, and, and, and one of the reasons that I felt reasonably sure that I would get away with it because I didn't betray the motherland. You know, I was German, German. I am, I'm born German, but now I'm American. So, um, yeah, there's multiple, there's multiple messages, but you know, we've had a lot of accidents happening lately in Russia. It's a, a lot of them. And, um, very badly designed or misplaced windows, especially. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you can't uh, cry any tears for these folks because it's uh, you know it's either either one or the other. You know, this, the, the the whole upper uh, 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 part of the Russian society is is corrupt and 
and mostly evil. You can't survive in that environment if if you if if, if you're not one of them. You certainly can't thrive or become wealthy without yeah, uh, exactly. a, a deep sense of cynicism and uh, yeah, potentially yeah. worse. That's right. Um, and there's a period of the 90s, and this was the period where I was studying Russian and uh, obviously fascinated by uh, Cold War history. And as you say, you know, KGB uh, officers would have potentially had a slightly better material life than many yeah. in society, um, but by no means would they have lived a sort of millionaire lifestyle. No, no, no. Ah, but let, let me interrupt mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Uh, first of all, yes, the ones that, that were deployed to the West, they would proudly display, uh, you know, the stuff that they bought there and they, they were wearing. But uh, there, uh, there, there's a book, I forgot uh, what it was called. It was a... Uh, written by uh, a defector who operated in Canada. And uh, he described the, when, when the KGB moved out of Lubyanka, uh, that facility was luxurious. And when I read that book, you know, they had Western uh, food, they had uh, swimming pools, they had saunas, they had tennis courts. And when I read that book, I got really mad because, you know, they sent me to, to, to the U.S. and I was cannon fodder because I wasn't living the good life. <laughs> so so the, the, there was an elitism that uh, um, evolved over time. It wasn't open. You know, nobody knew about it. But Yasinovo is the, the place, I believe. That, that's the, the, main, the main training institute, isn't it? Uh, um, but of course, in the 90s, something changed the cap was lifted on how much money people can accumulate and how they could express it. Yeah. So in the 60s, 70s, you couldn't have built a three-story house or even a two-story yeah. house. You know, you might have had luxuries and things to show off, but you would have had a, a dacha pretty much maybe a little bigger than your, your neighbours or compatriots, but you couldn't be ostentatious. Then in the 90s, Something happened. And I'm fascinated to hear your view on that, the difference or changing character, because you had a, a certain period where the secret state fused with the mafia. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you know about that, that, that period and how that came about? Nothing. Uh, obviously, I was in the United States at the time, but nothing that I uh, that I know directly and personally, but, you know, research and following this. Um, you you were right about this. There was a lot of uh, first of all, when when Russia uh, sort of embraced the capitalist model, where you can actually be competitive and make a lot of money. Guess who was best uh, uh, positioned to to operate in that model? It's the ones that already knew how the West works, right? So, and most of them they were KGB. You know, even military they didn't they didn't have a clue KGB, and so. This is how people like Putin rose to power or became wealthy, became oligarchs. And some of them uh, joined the mafia because the Russian mafia uh, at that time had a, um, a revival. And so there was, a, there was actually a power struggle going on. Uh, so you, you had the Yeltsin government, which was weak. Uh, and because the Yeltsin as a president was useless. And and then and so in in that environment the 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 ex KGB and, and the mafia they had pretty much free play, and it became like a you know in uh, a, a, a competition as to who was the most corrupt, and so out of that came some very wealthy people, and then Putin managed to when he when he got in power he managed to use physical violence to send a warning signal. You got you you can keep your wealth, but you gotta play with me. So he played all of this phenomenally well. And the one thing that uh, I I I stress repeatedly, that is not something that he learned in the KGB. He was positioned properly. He was a good networker. He he was a pretty good organizer and he was damn clever. And uh, and he he knew the Russian people, so he uh, as a as a chess player in in 
in the in the human uh, in the human uh, uh, society, uh, he, he was unbeatable, and he still is. And he can manipulate the fear as well. That word networking is absolutely fascinating because, you know, anyone uh, traveling in Russia, I guess, during the Soviet period, which I didn't, but also in the 90s, where you certainly saw remnants of that with the older generation and how they would behave differently in their apartments and they were on the street. People still, to an extent, reserved outside of their family environment. That lack of trust, the suspicion was still, there was a still a hangover of that. So... Is it true that the sort of the, the KGB or the system was very much built to disrupt social networks, to prevent people from building, you know, institutions, building civil society, building any kind of political grouping or oh, yeah, sense yeah, of exactly. togetherness? But Absolutely. did the KGB apply that to themselves? Or, as you say, were they actually very good networkers, very co communicators, perhaps the only ones that could actually do it in a society designed to disrupt that sort of cohesive bonds. Yeah, no, growing up, it, it was the same in East Germany. Uh, the focus was always on the collective, but the collective as it was subservient to the state, okay? The, the young pioneers and the, the free, free youth and, 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 and every, every group that uh, was allowed to form were subject to lead, being led by, by the party and by the state. And, and, uh, you know, if you think about if you're in the KGB, you're elite. And so you are helping, you're an instrument of the state and they need you. So you have a little more freedom. And uh, same thing that happens uh, in, in, that happened, I know about uh, particularly the UK where um, the, uh, the 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 MI6 folks uh, spent a lot of time hanging out together and drinking, and, and it's you know it's this idea that we're better than the rest of them, um, and 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 that that naturally you know produces some camaraderie, and I, I that's that's how how and that Putin was very good at uh, at taking advantage of of that kind of a, a atmosphere. And mentioning uh, the sort of uh, M MI6 uh, and others, of course, uh, Britain is infamous for also producing uh, many traitors and, and double agents. Now, they have a kind of uh, a mirror existence, whereas, you know, you ideologically uh, are bought into the, the communist idea, but living in the capitalist West, you then had sort of Blake, Philby, Blunt, McLean, all of these who are also bought into the ideology to some yeah. extent, or they're attracted by money or glamour or whatever it is, um, or even attracted to the idea of betraying their friends. And it's yeah. an odd one, yeah. but that certainly exists. Um, and they end up in Moscow. They end up actually living in that society. I mean, what must that been like? And do you think any of them sort of uh, questioned uh, thereafter, you know, what, oh, what they've done or... Uh Kim Philby was surprised that he didn't have a rank. That really pissed him off, and and he was he was marginalized. I mean, they set him up, I believe, with a woman, uh, and that didn't work out too well. He he did not do well, and you know that I was friends with uh, the Cohens, um, and and I I was also taught by an American woman who married a Soviet uh, diplomat, uh, KGB, and moved to Moscow. My God, this woman was miserable because they were isolated. And, and even though uh, Morris and Lana Cohen believed in the communist cause uh, to the end, but in their last interviews, they both at least questioned themselves. They ruminated, did we betray our country? Because this is not this is not a lot. They, they were isolated. I mean, what's his name? Uh, uh, the the guy uh, uh, Abel Rudolf Abel. You know, when he went back, when he was exchanged, when he was let out of jail, he was marginalized. They were they were afraid that he might actually have uh, been recruited. So so it was not a good life for any of those. You know, thank God. 
Yes, they didn't. Uh, and then the other side, you have uh, Mitrochin, who I think overlaps yeah. with with your story. I think your cover right. was blown by Mitrochin and uh, his infamous archive. And there's Oleg Gardievsky, and there's quite a few yeah. high-profile yeah. ones. To an extent, I mean, from what I've read as well, um, they may not question their motives as such, but also, you know, they've put themselves into a life of relative isolation because you you can't have a normal social life because they certainly would i would imagine be the targets for yeah. revenge even yeah. you know decades hence i got lucky <laughs> because you know i lived underground for many years it was like nine nine years after i re resigned the uh, the fbi uh, popped up and i was still living not in the public realm for another dozen years until the 60 Minutes interview. So at that time, so much time had passed, and I was fully integrated in U.S. society. So I'm I'm a very happy uh, um, uh, now Texan now. <laughs> well, let's let's cover off the last the last topics and bring it up to date because yeah. really the current crisis in Ukraine can trace its roots back to a rather insignificant uh, cog in the KGB machine, which is Vladimir Putin in the kind of relative backwater of Dresden, observing the collapse of the yeah. Soviet empire, or the Russian empire. Um, powerless. Powerless, he from, yeah. He went from like being part of the almighty, all-powerful all uh, uh, KGB to standing there and watching Germans running into where his office was, and he, he was not allowed to, to do anything. Yeah, destroying files, grabbing yeah. stuff. and uh, Humiliation. Mm. And Moscow is quiet. There's that infamous story where he calls to Moscow, and Moscow yeah. is is yeah. is silent. Um, and we're seeing certain characteristics emerge of the so-called Russian world ideology. We have, um, uh, I would say, sort of uh, religion, uh, quite strong sort of nationalist and orthodox uh, sort of uh, traditions that are used. I would say weaponized within that. Yeah, we yeah, have yeah. strong imperial. Uh, overturns uh and even genocidal how much of these come from other elements of russian history how much how many of these characteristics the so-called ruski mir can we trace to the sort of culture and thinking of the kgb uh, you, you know that under stalin uh the Orthodox Church was marginalized uh, and uh, whatever they had as far as wealth is concerned was conf confiscated. They operated like like in intimidation. So, but, you know, um, in, in bad times, people look for some kind of uh, uh, spiritual healing. And so Putin was really clever. You know, he allowed... Uh, under his guidance, of course, he allowed the Orthodox Church to come back. He's wearing a cross. Do you think he believes in God? I don't think so. He might on his death deathbed, like Voltaire did. Uh, but um, so, but that's part of his manipulation. You know, this this is part of Russian heritage. And uh, um, but 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 the people that actually go to church, they have a need. They have a need to to to. Uh, be closer to God because they, we all have a spiritual um, need, whether we are aware of it or not. For the for the longest time, I wasn't, but you know, I I know a lot of mature men, even older than me, who who may not be Christians or Jews, but they they are spiritual in some way. Uh, and and so again, this is one another masterful insight by Vladimir Putin. To, to let the Orthodox Church breathe. While controlling, of course. You don't want oh, it to uh, get out of your clutches. Same with, same with the oligarchs, right? You know, you you, you play with me and uh, you, you will thrive <laughs> your way. But just, just don't don't just don't get critical. Not just don't, you know, because God is on Russia's side. You know that. <laughs> 
And the last question is going to be, I think, an impossible one to to uh, answer, and it's quite a leading question as well. Um, and that is this link between the secret state and empire. Uh, you know, you have a a vast, almost ungovernable territory, uh, relatively poor through its history. Now, of course, there's natural resources and, and minerals. But to hold it all together, you need a strong uh, intelligence service. And obviously that goes back to the uh, 1870s and, and, and the czars uh, who started to build that sort of infrastructure yeah. and and mindset of, uh, you know, seeding agents and puppet right. institutions. Um, the question is, how do you root that out? Um, and for as long as Russia exists as this large fragmented and unstable empire are you going to have a sort of fsb type structure do you have to dissolve the empire before you can root out uh you know the 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 toxic cancer uh of the fsb so what are you talking about actually russia becoming uh, uh, a civilized nation is, is that where you're going as it would if if you start on that journey uh, uh you know, which do you tackle first the secret state or do you have to break the country apart before you can actually you know kill off that uh, hydra well you need to you need to have the force of the majority of, of the people behind you and you need to have a number of uh, uh powerful leaders like this fellow, what's his name? The, 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 he went back to Russia and is now sitting in jail. Uh, Navalny, Alexei Navalny. Yeah, but he, he, he is he is an odd character. I have a friend who who uh, uh, actually escaped the FSB, and he he would be more better able to answer that question. But uh, and but the, you know this kind of a conspiracy. In this, in this particular climate where everybody knows that everybody else uh, uh, is out for themselves, where nobody trusts anybody, uh, you would be pretty stupid to like conspire with a dozen other people because if one of them blabs, you're dead. So, so this, this, uh, some, I think, and and I'm not wishing for it because I love the Russian people, but I think some kind of a Defeat in a war might actually lead to uh, a revolutionary uh, development, but organically, it ain't going to happen. There's going to be no Maidan uh, in uh, in Red Square. I think uh, you're saying that. No. no, I don't. No, I don't believe it. You know, and, and Vladimir Putin, he will pass away one day, and there will be somebody else stepping in. Uh, interestingly enough, he has not yet officially pointed to a successor, because. Uh, Regicide is a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> and this is an interesting comment by uh, uh, Ed Lucas, which I heard earlier this week. He said that the system, the KGB system, produced thousands of Putins. So, uh, you know, are there, are there going to be many people lining up for, for that top job, despite the risks? Well, you know, they got where they are now because they're ambitious. And when do you stop? <laughs> yeah, no, no money, no, no number of palaces or yachts are too many, apparently. I'm sure there are many people but, who but think that way. Ultimately, it's, uh, it's the power. I mean, Putin lives in the, in the biggest palace on earth, I believe in the Kremlin. But I don't think that motivates him as much as, you know, being a god unto himself. It's it's, it's uh, extreme narcissism. You know the 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 knowledge that you you're better than everybody else, and there will be there will be monuments, and there will be many places named after you because you did a great job for all the people that uh, don't know how to take care of themselves, and they fear you. Knowing people fear you well, must they should, be another because, motive. Because they need, they need, they need to do what I tell them to do, so they can be happy. And we, we have similar uh, thoughts uh, amongst the number of uh, politicians in the Western world. Now, obviously, not as extreme. We still 
uh, reined in by democratic institutions. But but you know there are people, and there always have been. There are people who think they know better, and and they're arrogant, and they look down on the rest of us clowns. <laughs> and uh, if uh, if I may end with a comment and a and and something else, uh, the comment is. Uh, it was a pure delight to speak with somebody who actually is not naive when it comes to Russia, because I have been interviewed by so many people that don't have a slightest clue. And so you and I, you, you, you don't need me to share with the audience what you know, because we pretty much know a lot of the same stuff. What I bring to the table is a, a sort of a personal uh, a different view is a personal view, okay? So, and I can see that that's valuable. The other thing I just wanted to point out, uh, you know, I, I I have been interviewed probably a dozen times by folks that uh, live where you live, and I have yet to be able to 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 get to the UK. And uh, and and I know that you know the Brits like a good spy story because you had a lot of them, and I'm just gonna. Throw that out. I'm a public speaker. I'm doing really well. I, I, I actually had a an appearance at the Cambridge Union, except I couldn't go because of COVID. So, uh, so I'm available if somebody feels that uh, I could uh, be, uh, be of value appearing in front of an audience. Uh, I, I've done it now long enough and often enough that uh, I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> But Jack, this has been deeply fascinating. I know there's a, a million other questions I could fire at you, but I think you've given us a, an incredible insight into uh, the world of uh, espionage uh, and what it's like uh, to uh, to be probably one of the most effective uh, sleeper agents. We, we didn't come to all the sort of clowns who followed on from you who didn't receive the same level of training, <laughs> but we'll, we'll probably save that for another episode. Um, this has been absolutely thrilling. Uh, and I highly recommend uh, your your book as well as the various documentaries. We'll put links to those in the description of the video. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're, you're, you're very welcome. That that was a delight, uh, and I mean it. Uh, 